noticed the uh, Christmas decorations throughout the church? Didn't the uh, folks do a fine job putting those up? And I know some of you might be thinking, well, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. Why did you already put up the Christmas decorations? Well, the lady that kind of heads that up has a wedding coming up the week of Thanksgiving. And uh, so she's pretty tied up with wedding stuff. And she asked if it would be all right if they went ahead and put up the Christmas decorations. I think they look great. I don't care if we hadn't had Thanksgiving yet. It's, uh, it's, it looks really good. Would you pray with me, please, over God's word? Father, we come to you this morning. And Father, we thank you for your word. Just pray today that uh, we'll learn from it. And Father, each of us here this morning, we're at different spots in life and a different place in our faith journey. And Father, just pray that you'll meet all of us where we're at. And I just pray that just the things that you want us to learn today will be the things that we walk away from here with. And then we walk away this morning not with, all oh, that was interesting or a story or whatever, but we walk away with your truth and we're asking ourselves, how does this impact my life? Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Only two men returned from the famed Lewis and Clark expedition in the early 1800s. One didn't return because he died. The other didn't return because he was smitten. He had seen the majesty of the Rocky Mountains. He had seen the Columbia Basin where it emptied into the Pacific Ocean. He had seen the geysers of Yellowstone. And so when Lewis and Clark turned around to go back home, John Coulter waved goodbye. And he stayed on to explore the, the vast lands out west. And of course, he faced many dangers. He faced monster grizzlies and churning white water and, of course, the always present Indians. As years went by, he gained a reputation and legendary status with mountain men and trappers, men who weren't easily impressed for his courage, his pluck, and his reflexes. But the accomplishment that sealed John Coulter's reputation as a living legend was a single, solitary foot race. He was trapping in a stream one afternoon when he suddenly found himself surrounded by Blackfeet Indians. He knew that if he showed any fear, they would probably kill him instantly. So he immediately grabbed the braid that was closest to him, took his knife, and of course a tussle ensued and he was eventually subdued. But he showed that he wasn't afraid. So the Indians, because they felt like he wasn't afraid, they believed that maybe they should give him some kind of quote-unquote chance. So they held a little council to decide what to do with this white man. Some said, well, let's just skin him alive. Others said, let's burn him. And still others said, let's just whip him to death. Finally, one of them had a creative idea, suggested it to the chief, and the chief came over and through sign language asked Coulter if he was fast. Coulter said, no, in fact, he was slow like a turtle, which was not true. He was actually quite fast. 
But the chief took the bait, so he was stripped completely naked, not moccasins, shoes, nothing. And it was determined that he would be given a 300-yard head start. And then young braves who were looking for glory, the chance to scalp him, would then join the chase after him. So at the appointed time, he was told to take off, and he ran just as hard as he could. After the 300-yard approximately mark, three, four braves took off after him, and he ran just as hard as he possibly could in the race for his life. A mile went by, two miles sped by, three miles sped by, and he finally decided to take a glance over his shoulder, and he noticed that most of the braves had fallen way behind except for one who was gaining on him. When he got to the fourth mile, he could hear the moccasins right behind him. He knew he wasn't going to outrun them. So all at once, he just whirled around to face the young Indian. The Indian was so startled that he immediately stumbled. But as he stumbled, he threw his lance at Coulter and he missed. Coulter immediately picked it up, ran over him before the Indian could get off the ground. He plunged it through his body, pinning him to the ground. And then he took off running. And what he guessed was approximately six miles from where he started from. He came to a small river and he went out into the river and hid under some logs. The water was freezing cold. His feet had been cut to bloody ribbons from the stones and the prickly pears of the cactus. And there he hid and eventually he could hear all the Indians looking for him, wanting to avenge the death of their comrade. Eventually, at nightfall, they all gave up. He pulled himself onto the bank, exhausted, blood streaming from his mouth, half froze. No rifle, no weapon, no shoes, no horse, no food, and 150 miles from the nearest trading post. Seven days later, half dead, John Coulter walked into the Bighorn trading compound. And in that moment, he sealed his reputation as a living legend. Stripped of everything and against the worst odds imaginable, John Coulter outran and outsmarted the Blackfeet Indian for 156 miles. You know, we're all on a journey. And life's journeys can be tough and challenging and overwhelming. And like John Coulter, the legend of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, faced difficult times on his journeys. And while he never faced Indians, he certainly knew what it meant to fear for his life. Listen to this passage out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as Paul is talking he said, I am more, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, 
in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. I don't know about you, but I think maybe it would have been easier to go fight Indians. I mean, the things that he went through, some pretty rough stuff that Paul dealt with. So we're starting to kind of wind up our series, The Story. We've got this week and two more weeks after this. We'll finish right before Thanksgiving. It's just this chronological study we've been doing since January. And now we're in the New Testament, and last week we kind of began to look at the early church in the book of Acts, chapter 2, and discovered how that the, the church and what the purpose of the church is and how the church is God's tool to continue to spread the gospel. And we're going to kind of continue that, continue our study in the book of Acts. But today we're going to look at a person that was very instrumental in spreading the gospel in the early church. And of course, most of you know who I'm talking about, and it's the guy that I just talked about, the brushes with death he had. And that was the Apostle Paul. He quickly kind of becomes the main character in the book of Acts. But you know what? Paul was not always a friend of Christians. He wasn't always this great Christian legend, the guy that wrote 12, 13 books of the New Testament that we often think about. In fact, when we are first introduced to him, you might call him a Christian terrorist more than you would anything else. Over in the book of Acts, chapter 7, we first are introduced to Paul. This is what we read in verses 57 through 60. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, him, of course, being Stephen an early Christian leader, and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. That person, Saul, is also the apostle Paul. He was first called Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. So we meet the Apostle Paul here, although he's called Saul at this particular time, and he is a persecutor of Christians. He hates Christians. He absolutely despises Christians. And so he is doing everything he can to destroy the early church. And so Stephen is being stoned here. He's one of the early leaders of the church. He's being stoned to death. And this is where we're introduced to Paul. You know what Paul's doing? He's standing there watching this, and he's kind of the ringleader, and he's holding everybody's coats while they throw the stones. Certainly not the kind of person that you would imagine God would use to help establish the early church. But one, on one of his missions later on to to persecute Christians. Paul has kind of what you might call a high-voltage smackdown. And God kind of gets his attention. And he becomes a believer. And God gives him a new mission. And it's to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And so Paul lives in Antioch for a period, and then he embarks, and this is what a lot of the book of Acts is about, on these three missionary journeys that take approximately eight to ten years. I want you to, there's a map, thank you. Look at that map. All those lines and the distances and stuff like that. Paul was probably in his 40s when all of these journeys started. Remember, there's no Expedia.com. There's no Priceline.com. There's no airplanes. He did all of this either on foot, donkey, or camel. Barry Beetzel, in his book, The Atlas of Bible Lands, describes the physical demands this way. He says the New Testament registers the equivalent of about 13,400 airline miles that Paul would have journeyed. The roads would have been, you know, treacherous. There was all kinds of dangers from bandits and stuff on these roads and over mountainous terrain. It just would have been a very difficult journey. Here's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to focus on the word journey. Because that's an appropriate word to describe the Christian life. You know, a lot of times I think we think about Paul's journey or our own journey and we think, okay, where was he going? Where are we going? What's the destination? But I think there's another aspect of journey that is just as important, maybe more important. It's who you are as you go on your journey. So what I want to do this morning, I don't want us to just kind of go through Acts and just look at all these journeys and all these different places. I mean, that information is nice and it's nice to know. But at the end of the day, it's just kind of information. Well, he went from Antioch, he went to Iconium, he went here, he went there. It's just information. But I want us to kind of zero in on this morning. Who was Paul while he was on these journeys? And when we look at who he was, what can we learn from Paul to apply to our own faith journey? What are some qualities in his life that God lays out for us that we can apply to our lives? What are some things that marked Paul's journey that should mark our journey? So that's what we're going to do this morning. And there's all kinds of different things we could talk about, but I just want to pick out two this morning. The first one is this. Paul was committed. That's a word that you could describe Paul on his journeys. He was intentional. He was passionate. He was committed. A biblical word that we might interchange in there is he was faithful. It was a difficult journey, but Paul is faithful along the way. You know, I think sometimes in our lives we think that if my life is going good, then I must be doing exactly what God wants me to do. But if things begin to unfold and they're not doing, my life's not going so well, then maybe I've, I've missed the mark. I've missed what God has for me to do. I don't know where we get that, but it's not from Scripture. Because as we read about Paul and we read about a lot of other characters in Scripture, we find out that a lot of times life's journey doesn't go well and they're exactly in the center of God's will like they're supposed to be. 
And that can happen to us too. But the thing you notice about Paul is even through the tough journey and all the brushes with death that he had, he stays committed. In that first passage I read out of 1 Corinthians, does that sound like a family vacation? All the stuff that he went through? Lots of difficulties, lots of challenges. But he stays committed. He didn't quit. He was faithful in what God called him to do. Over in the book of Acts chapter 14, we're going to be in a number of different places this morning. We read this in Acts chapter 14 verse 19. Because Paul is dragged outside the city. We read, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Do you know what it says in verse 20? Check it out on the screen. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got back up and went back into the city. Did you catch that? What? They tried to kill you? And you're going to go back into the city? Did one of those rocks hit you in the head? But that's how committed he was. And we read that he visited that city several other times in the New Testament. Listen, I don't know about you. But I'm pretty sure that if I was preaching somewhere and they took me outside the city and they stoned me and left me for dead, if somebody was writing my biography, it would say, and he died. Or it would say, he got up and he never went back to that city. I'm pretty sure that's how I would react. But not Paul. He got up and he went back into the city. He wasn't worried about his own personal security. He wasn't worried about his safety or his comfort. He went back in to face direct opposition. I think this is something that we need to hear. Because you can have talents and you can have gifts and you can have resources. But if you're not committed and you're not faithful, you're not going to have much of a story to tell. History is littered with athletes and musicians and singers and actors and actresses who God blessed with great talents, but they failed to use them. Some of you will recognize this guy that's going to pop up on the screen there. Anybody remember Johnny Manziel? Johnny Football? Heisman Trophy winner? He was going to be the next big quarterback, the next big thing in the NFL? <coughs> Drugs, bad choices, alcohol, bad attitude. He's trying to catch on with the CFL team, a Canadian football team. Just all that talent. Just wasted it. And I know the circumstances are different. But I don't think all Christians maximize the gifts and the talents that God gives them. God doesn't give us gifts and talents for our own benefit. He gives them to us to use for other people, to serve other people, to serve his church. And we tend to 
have this tendency to trade in our gifts and our talents and, and just not be as committed as we should be. Listen, some of the best servants I know in this church are not necessarily the most talented and gifted, but they're committed. And they show up week after week after week, and they serve, and they're just faithful people. I just want to challenge you in your journey to be faithful and committed. I know it's hard sometimes. And I know sometimes you're just tired and you're worn out. And sometimes you think, well, the journey's not turning out like I thought it would. Don't give up. Don't quit. Let commitment mark your journey. You know, one of my favorite movies of all time is Rudy. How many of y'all have seen the movie Rudy? It's like the, the classic underdog movie, isn't it? Just, just this great movie. And if you're not familiar with the movie, the movie Rudy is just this, this undersized kid. He doesn't have the talent of most of the other football players, but he tries out of all places for the University of Notre Dame, and he makes it as a walk-on. And, you know, he never gets into the games. He doesn't get to play. He's, he's just on the practice squad. Like half the time, he's just like the, the tackling dummy, so to speak. But in the movie, he's always given it everything he's got. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of talent, but he's given it everything he has. He is all in. He works at it every day, just giving what he's got. And that besides, doesn't have the talent. But he just gives himself. And there's this one scene in the movie where this talented player, he's very gifted, his name is O'Hara. He's just griping Rudy out because Rudy is just practicing so hard. And in the movie, he makes this statement. He fusses at Rudy, and then he, the coach says, O'Hara, what is your problem? And O'Hara says this. It's the last practice of the season, and Rudy acts like it's the Super Bowl. And the coach turns to O'Hara and says, O'Hara, you just summed up your entire career, your sorry career, in one sentence. I think that's how some of us, if we're not careful, are going to look back on our life. And we meant to be a little more intentional. And maybe we meant to work at serving a little bit harder. And we were going to be more passionate people. And we were going to use our gifts and talents a little more. But we just kind of never get around to it. So moms on your journey. I know it's hard for you. And I know you're tired some days. And days just run from one end to the next and it, and it can just be difficult but would you be passionate and stay committed to what God has called you to do to your family and to your children and to intentionally pour into your family and I know that we don't say thank you enough and we're not appreciative enough and I know it's hard but would you be faithful and dads husbands would you do the hard work of being the spiritual leader in your home? I know it's hard. You come home from work and you're tired and you just want to get in the recliner and read a newspaper or look on the web or watch the news. 
and it's difficult, and sometimes you say, well, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll be intentional about it tomorrow. I'll get serious about this tomorrow. I'm asking you to do it today, to be serious and be committed to what God has called you to do. Your family needs you. How about work? Would you go to work tomorrow with a different attitude? That, hey, you know what? This is what God's called me to do, this secular workplace, and I need to be a salt and a light here. I'm going to give it everything I have. And followers of Jesus Christ, would you say, you know, I'm not going to look at the church as a service station where I come in once a week, get what I can, and take off till I run empty. Or I don't look at this place as a restaurant where I come to be served and get my way. But I look at this as a place where I serve and I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to serve. That's what marked Paul's journey. He was committed along the way. So that's the first one, committed. And there's all kinds of different things we could look at. Committed is one I want to look at and the other is joy. You just have to be amazed when you look at the joy that Paul has. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, Paul was still able to display joy. He's in Poseidon, Antioch, and they're establishing a church there. And he's preaching the gospel, and things seem to be going very well. And we read over in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 44, on that next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, that's a pretty good day, right? I mean, the entire city almost has come to hear God's word. So everybody's going to kind of be there. And, you know, he's been on these difficult journeys, and there's been some tough times, but it looks like things are looking up. Then we read in the next verse, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Jealousy, And so in the next couple verses, it talks about how they weren't happy about this. And they talked abusively about what Paul was doing. And so just when we think things are picking up for Paul, all at once, they don't. And then we read in verse 50, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from the region. And then we read about Paul and Barnabas in 50, verse 51. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. In verse 52. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now that's kind of not how you expect this story to end, is it? I mean, they were kicked out. Everything just seems to fall apart. But yet the story ends with... They were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And joy seems to mark his journey when it didn't make any sense. I guess the thing we learned from Paul is, I think so many of us were so guilty, I'm included, our joy depends on our circumstances. If my finances are okay, if I'm healthy and my family's healthy, if my team won yesterday, if my candidate wins the election on Tuesday, then things are good. I can be joyful. And we let circumstances determine our joy. But that wasn't true for Paul. He didn't, it didn't matter what the circumstances. His joy was not determined by circumstances. You know, last week I uh, 
I showed you some pictures of uh, Renee and I's wedding and some other pictures from years ago. When I was digging up those pictures, it took me a while to find some of those pictures. I came across a lot of other pictures, as I'm sure you might when you start going through old chests of pictures and stuff like that. And uh, I found some pictures of the kids, especially the, the three youngest ones, when they were little and you would like go and get a portrait picture made. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you get the kids together and you go down to a, a studio and have pictures made. And uh, I look at some of those pictures and, you know, there's three smiling children and Renee and I are smiling. And, and it, you know, I'm looking at some of those and I remember that we were everything but happy trying to get those pictures made. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Like you're trying to get their hair combed and all that kind of stuff. But before you get to the studio, one of them's messed up the other's hair. Or maybe you're trying to put a tie on your, on your little guy, and, you know, by the time you get there, the tie's wrapped all around his neck and half undone, and then you're, you know, you're trying to get them all in place, and the photographer's trying to get them all in place, and they're squirmy, and they keep messing everything up, and, uh, and then, then you're like, now look, just smile and look natural, <laughs> right? And, you know, everybody's mad by this point, and they're squirmy, they're ready to get all those dress clothes off, and you're like, smile, look natural, and somehow or another, after you know a bajillion pictures, they finally get one where you all look happy, even though on the inside, maybe you weren't so happy. And I think that's how we are sometimes. Our, our, our smiles, our joy is kind of forced. It's kind of for a snapshot, so to speak, and down deep, we're really struggling. But Paul's joy wasn't based on circumstances. It was a joy that came from God and, and who he was. We see it again in Acts chapter 16. He's on his second missionary journey. And uh, this time, Silas is with him instead of Barnabas. And we read that a mob kind of formed against Paul and Silas. And city officials uh, ordered them stripped down. And then they were beaten with rods. And then they were thrown into prison. And they were thrown into the inner part of the prison. And then, you know, they were put into chains. I'm just telling you, if you're a preacher, that's a bad scenario thrown into prison, you're chained, and, you know, I never know how people are going to respond to a message in here, but I, I can tell you, I'm not really worried about somebody putting me in chains. I mean, I might get a, a note or something that's not kind, but I, I'm never worried about being put into chains. But they're put into prison, and they're put into chains. And then we read this. They've been beaten with rods. They're in prison. They're in chains. And we read this, chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight in the inner dungeon, Paul and Silas, the two guys who were beat with rods, were praying and singing hymns to God. Now, how does this happen? They're beaten. They're in a dungeon. They're chained up. Maybe Silas looks over at Paul. Are you thinking what I'm thinking? Paul says, yeah, a night of worship. Silence. Exactly. Right? I mean, that what most of us would be doing? But you see, with these guys, you know how it happens? It's not based on circumstances. How do you just start praying and worshiping in this kind of situation? It's joy. It's the word joy. Commitment, joy. And there's all kinds of other things that we could apply to Paul, love and patience and all those types of things. I'm not going to get into all that today. It just would, it would take too long. 
But as you think about journey, and we focus on the journey, not the locations, just remember your journey is not about where you're going, but who you are along the way. Not just where you're going, but who you are. Paul's journey was marked by commitment, intentionality, faithfulness, joyfulness, loving and patient, and lots of things like that. And I think all of us would think, well, that's great. I'd like to be that way too, but, you know, I really struggle trying to be joyful when things aren't going good. And sometimes I'm just so tired, it's hard to just, just stay committed. How do, you, how do you do that? Well, here's Paul's secret. It's who he traveled with. And I'm not talking about Silas or Barnabas. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. 57 times in the book of Acts we have references to the Holy Spirit. When Jesus passes off the scene, he heads to heaven. It says the Holy Spirit says, would stay here. And each of us, when we became, become a believer, the Holy Spirit is in us. But a lot of times we don't yield to the Holy Spirit. We're too busy doing Dennis things or whatever you're doing. And we're not yielding to the Holy Spirit. In Galatians, he talks about the, the fruits of the Spirit. And that we have joy and peace and long-suffering and faithfulness and all those types of things when we're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us. It's not about just being a more determined people. But it's about yielding to the Holy Spirit in your life. Does anybody remember, there's a book and it was also a movie called Thin Air. It's about uh, some hikers on Mount Everest. Anybody seen that? It came out in the late 90s. It's also a book. In this movie called Thin Air, some of the climbers on Mount Everest, you know, oxygen is just a big thing. And it tells a story about a guy named Andy Harris. And he's one of the expedition leaders who stayed at the peak a little too long after the other hikers had descended back down. And he was making his way back down when he becomes in just dire need of oxygen. So he radios down to the base camp and he knows he's not going to make it without oxygen. And some of the other climbers who have already descended and made it back to base camp, they tell him, we left you some oxygen. They're full tanks. And so they're kind of talking to him and they ask him, does he see the full tanks? And Andy says, yeah, they're here, but they're not full. They're empty. They ask him, have you checked them? He says, I haven't checked them, but they're empty oxygen tanks. And the base camp quickly realizes that Andy is deprived of oxygen. And because he's deprived of oxygen, he doesn't realize what he needs is right in front of him. And the... The guys down below the base camp, they just plead with him. It's right there. It's immediately available. It's right there. Just open them. The tanks are full. But he wouldn't listen. He eventually passed away. And I guess we can relate to that story this morning. Because the Holy Spirit is the oxygen of the Christian life, and the Christian life doesn't work very well 
if you're not yielding to the Holy Spirit. And he's right here. If you are a believer, he's right here. But you have to let the Holy Spirit work in you. The journey is difficult. The journey is hard. Do not attempt it without yielding to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Thank you.